Welcome to the Battlefield Baptist Church Podcast. We are so glad you joined us and pray that this message is a blessing to you today. This week, Pastor continues his sermon series on stuff with money stuff. We all have stuff. And uh, that's what we've been talking about the past few weeks. And uh, certainly we had a little bit of a welcome break uh, last week. And Brother Brian was with us and... uh, so thankful that they were able to be here, and uh, they got back to uh, Nicaragua, and uh, man, it was just a joy to be able to be with him. Thank you all for the kind uh, remarks. Uh, I, I, uh, I enjoyed singing last week. It's been a while since I've sung. It was, uh, it was refreshing to sing, but it was also nerve-wracking for me to sing. I, I told my wife I hadn't sung in so long that I was really, really nervous, and uh, this, uh, I, I didn't want to take a drink. They usually have a, a, a glass of water here for me. But since Brian was preaching, I didn't want to, I didn't want to presume that that water was for me last week. <laughs> so, so I walked by and I was like, my mouth is so dry and I've got to sing. Uh, but, um, but it was good to be in the Lord's house last week. And, uh, you know, over the past few weeks, we've been, uh, we began our series on stuff uh, on New Year's Eve. And uh, we kind of started by just scratching the surface of this, of this series entitled Stuff. And um, what we immediately began to know was that right away the best remedy is actually to get God involved in all of our stuff. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter whether it's financial stuff. It doesn't matter whether it's health stuff and on and on as the video portrayed. The best remedy is to get God involved and, and you know, quit leaving him out of the loop. Because that's what we do a lot of times, isn't it, Right. We, we think we can handle it. We think God has his, his hands busy with other people's stuff. And so we try to figure it out ourselves. And so we were talking about this idea of, of giving God the ability to take care of our stuff. And we looked at that verse, that passage actually, but that one verse in 1 Peter 5, 7 that tells us that we ought to be casting all of our care on him because he actually cares for us. Remember we said there's one who cares for us And there's another who doesn't care. Because you see, verse number 7 says that we're to cast all our care on him because he cares for us. And then verse number 8 then immediately says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary has a roaring lion. He walks about seeking whom he may devour. And so we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. We kind of transitioned and we started talking about job stuff and the stress or the impact, actually, the impact of the stress that comes from our job stuff. And we were saying that if we're not careful, man, our job can make a mess. That stress in our life from our jobs can make a mess out of our lives. Because what we do is we buy into, and really primarily we were talking about the fact that we buy into the myth. You remember what I said the myth was? The myth of what? Of more. We buy into the myth of more and we say, hey, a little more money, a little more status, a little more excitement, a little more or a lot more pleasure. Uh, I, I mean, Elvis sang a song about that. Listen, a little or a lot more pleasure, you know, um, more power, a little whatever. And then what we do is that mindset, we start to think about the fact that if I have a little more of this or if I have a little more of that, those things will actually bring me peace and contentment. But that's not what the Bible has to say. And so if we go back to Scripture, we find out that the myth of more is just this myth that the world, our flesh actually, and that that devil who's walking about trying to devour us, it's that myth that tells us, hey, your contentment and your peace comes from these things. 
And so we, we have to kind of look at that and push back and say, no, that's not biblical. And so if we're going to deal with stuff, we want to do it the right way. Very similar, Travis was reading the passage this morning, very similar to verse number 15 of the passage we read a couple weeks ago in Mark chapter 8 where Jesus says, What profiteth a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And see, when you buy into the myth of more, you say, I'm willing to give whatever it takes. I'm willing to give time away from the kids. I'm willing to give uh, uh, time in this, in this realm. I'm willing to sit on 66 in the worst hours imaginable so that I can have the myth of more. I've been there, done that. I think I spent an eternity on I-66 before. And so we buy this myth of more in Matthew chapter 6. It was also echoed in the passage that Travis read this morning. In Matthew chapter 6, we understand from Scripture that God not only understands our needs, but He actually promises to meet not our wants, not our desires, but He actually promises to meet our needs if, there's a big if, if we'll put Him first. Remember, I said that He's, to, he's not to be the Lord of our leftovers, He's to be the Lord of our lives. See, we love Jesus the Savior, but we struggle with Jesus the Lord. He's to be the Lord of our lives, not the Lord of our leftovers. He's to be primary. Remember, I said he's to be primary, not secondary. And so we talked about myth of job stuff and this myth of more, rather. Sorry, job stuff and the myth of more. And so this morning, I actually want, if you have your Bible in Luke chapter 12, I want us to look at some stuff that really, if we're not careful, can cause you and I to tread some very treacherous waters. Anybody ever felt like in life you've been treading water for a long time? It's like, uh, have you ever seen somebody that doesn't know how to swim and uh, mom and dad throws them into the pool to teach them how to swim? Like, hey, you got to learn sometime. I mean, I remember as a kid, I was down in Springfield and they said, oh, you're going to take swimming lessons. I was scared to death of water. I didn't even want to get in the bathtub, let alone the pool. And my mom and dad said, no, you're going. Your brother's learned. You're going to learn how to swim. And I was like, well, do I have to learn today? Yes. <laughs> I start waving my arms. And this is what we do sometimes. We tread treacherous waters when we deal with the stuff that I want to talk to you about this morning. And I want to tell you right off the set, as soon as you see the title, everybody's going to have the desire to check out. You're going to be like, whoop, check out of this message. Because I don't like dealing with this stuff and I don't like talking about this stuff and I don't like to be talking to, I don't like to be talked to about this stuff. But it was in our video, so I guess I have to talk to you about it. And that's money stuff. Anybody ever struggle with money stuff? Yeah, I thought about taking a poll, but I'm not sure we'd all be honest unless we all closed our eyes. Like, everybody close your eyes. Anybody ever dealt with money stuff? And then people would be like, yeah, we all deal with money stuff. And here's the thing, folks. How you and I deal with money is really, really important to God. You say, oh, the pastor's going to preach a message on how I ought to give all my money to the church. Nope, I won't even mention it once in this message. That's not the goal. The goal is that we learn how to deal with money stuff biblically. Oh, there's a time for me to teach and preach on stewardship and to give back to the Lord and to do what's right with our funds. But that's not today. Today, I just want us to kind of identify what causes us to tread those treacherous waters when we deal with money stuff. 
Do we know that money stuff is probably one of the greatest tests that you and I will face in life? And it's also one of the greatest tests that we face in marriage. In fact, money stuff continues to be the leading cause of divorce. More people are divorced today in 27, or 2018. Wow, wake up, we're in 2018. In 2018, still the stats will show, at the end of this year, you'll find out that the stats will show more people will be divorced because of money stuff than infidelity or any other stuff that they deal with. In fact, before his passing in 2003, financial counselor and author Larry Burkett once said these words. He said, of the couples who end up getting a divorce, every survey that has ever been taken shows that between 85 and 90% of them say that the number one problem they were facing had to do with their finances. That's why it's important, guys. Moms, dads, grandpa, grandma, listen, this doesn't, you're like, hey, I've been married 60 years, it doesn't affect me. It does affect you. It does affect you. You say, well, my wife passed away, it still affects you. You say, my husband passed away, it still affects you. You say, I'm not married, it still affects you. We all struggle with money stuff, and so we have to talk about it. And I think that it's good that we learn about it, but not from what Greg has to say. Let's learn about it biblically. Let's see what God has to say about it. You see, in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ actually speaks more about money stuff than he speaks about heaven and hell. Did you know that? He actually spent more time talking about money stuff than he did talking about heaven or hell. In fact, in the New Testament, about 500 verses are devoted to the topic of prayer. Less, or actually, yeah, a little bit less than 500 verses are devoted to the topic of faith. But 2,000 verses are devoted to the topic of money, property, and the resources that God entrusts us with and how we're actually going to deal with it. So I don't know, because I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, as I've always said, but I'd say it's pretty important. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I believe that money is the most important subject in Scripture, but let's be clear. If we're not careful, money can actually become the thing that actually captures and enslaves our hearts. And the Lord Jesus Christ knew this. Travis was reading in chapter 12 all about it. So what do we do? What do we do with this money stuff? Because there's some things that I've observed in my 51 plus years. And that's this. If you have been been entrusted with a lot of money, there is still the threat, there is still the danger that you will crave more. Because you're susceptible, and I'm susceptible to that myth of more. Now, if you're here this morning and you say, well, praise the Lord, I haven't been entrusted with a lot. I don't have a lot in my bank account, so I guess I I can sit back and relax. Wrong, because you will still fall prey to the myth of more. It makes no difference whether you have $1 in your pocket or $1,000 in your pocket. Money stuff affects every one of us. Every one of us, young and old alike. George Gallup actually reported that 64% of all couples actually spend more time worrying about money than anything else. Money, it's always there on the mind. And so I believe that the first thing we need to do really quickly in order to appropriately deal with this subject of money, whether, whether we're blessed or entrusted with a little or a lot, is to embrace God's perspective. 
Not my perspective. And, I, and be honest, I love every one of you. Man, if you're visiting today, you're like, man, we picked the wrong Sunday to come visit Battlefield. I wish we would have come next week when he's talking about a different kind of stuff. But here's the deal. I want to encourage all of us, embrace what God has to say. That's it. I don't know any other way to do it in life but to embrace what God has to say. You know, my wife is a great financial guru. She went to the University of Richmond. She studied business. She studied accounting. She studied finance. I know we have other accountants in the room that are, that are wow, boom, 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 boom. But I say, let's study what God has to say. See, for too long, I think the problem is we're, we're so consumed with what man has to say that we end up screwing up because God actually gave us the manual. But it's like, it's like an owner's manual of anything. This morning, we have a Keurig in the office, right? And uh, I've never used the little, uh, the little pod that you actually put the, uh, the grounds in yourself. It saves money, by the way. And so, so this morning, I was, I'm going to have a cup of coffee. So I put, broke that thing out of its package. And there's a little thing there that says instructions. Yeah, I don't need that. Why do I need that? All I'm going to do is rip off the top, put a little grounds in, screw it back on and put it in the maker and push go. I am so glad that I took about 10 seconds to read one part of it. It said, when its screen comes up, select number four. That's all I knew was select number four. So when that screen came in, I was like, number four. And then I was like, smiled. And then what next? And so I had to go back. I had actually thrown it away and I had to pull it back out and look again. God has given us the manual on how to deal with our money stuff. But do we ever take time to see what he says? And so we have to embrace his perspective. By the way, there's two key principles. If you're a note taker, there's two key principles that I want to give you right away because there really aren't a lot of points to my message today. There's one overarching thought, but two key principles that we all need to be aware of from God's word. And number one is God owns it all. If you don't... if you if, if you, you have a supposition that begins anywhere else than God owns it all, then you, you might as well forget it. Because you'll never want to know what God has to say about money stuff. God owns it all, and so we have to have that in our heart. And then also, we have to understand that if he owns it all, we're simply just stewards. We're just simply managers. We're actually, we're, we're actually the business managers of what he entrusts us with. If he entrusts you with a dollar, you're a manager of that. If he entrusts you with a million dollars, you're the manager of that. If he entrusts you with somewhere in between or beyond that, you are the manager, the steward of what he entrusts you with when it comes to your finances. And so we have to look at things biblically. Notice what Ecclesiastes has to say. The wise man Solomon said this. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, in verse number 10, He that loveth silver, notice, uh uh-oh, shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. And then notice these words. He says, this is also vanity. What Solomon was saying, that the person who loves silver and thinks they're going to be satisfied with silver, or the person who loves the abundance of things and thinks that that is what's going to satisfy them, he says, this is vanity. That word vanity there means it's empty. It's unsatisfactory. It's not going to bring you the happiness that you're looking for. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. It's just a few pages over from uh, where we're at in Scripture. In 1 Timothy chapter 6. Notice what the Bible has to say beginning in verse number 6 and following. 
The Bible says, but godliness, what is the next word? With contentment. Now you, you may have a different version than the King James in your lap or on your phone, but I guarantee you the word is very similar to contentment. It's speaking of this idea of being contented. So notice what it says. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. means it's of great value. It says, for we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us there be there with content. But they that will be what? Rich. Then what does it say, they that will be rich? They will fall into a temptation and snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in, in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money. Not money. Money is a tool that God gives to us to enable to, to be in the marketplace to provide needs for us in, this, in this, uh, this society, this culture, this economy that we live in. It's, money is not bad in and of itself. It says the love of money, notice, is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But here's what I want you to notice. Look at verse number 11. Don't stop at verse number 10. What does verse number 11 say? It says, but thou, O man of God. This is Paul writing to young Timothy, his, his son in the faith. He's saying, but thou, O man of God. He says, flee these things and follow after. What does he tell him? He says, hey, quit. Don't focus on the love of money. Don't focus on abundance. Don't focus on those things. He says, flee those things and follow after. He says, righteousness. He says, follow after godliness. Follow after faith. Follow after love. Follow after patience. He says, follow after meekness. That's what he tells Timothy to follow. And so in light of these passages, and, and guys, I'll be honest with you, there's no way we could go through all the passages. I told you there's over 2,000 just in the New Testament. That's not even including the Old Testament. There's no way we could even begin to scratch the surface of this topic by going through all of them. But this passage and other passages... We have to ask ourselves one question, really, I believe, to get to the heart of this idea of money stuff. And that is this one question. What is it that you, what is it that you and I love and cherish the most? Can you answer that? Can you answer that between you and the Lord right now? What is it? And, and I'm telling you, if you're honest with yourself, something popped into your mind. As soon as I said, what do you love and cherish the most? For some of you, you might have said, I love and cherish my family the most. I love and cherish my new boat the most. I love and cherish my motorcycle the most. I love and cherish my job the most because, what? <laughs> oh, I love and cherish my dog the most, yeah. I got news for you. Don't put your hope in your dog. I have a dog, and he's starting to move much, much slower. Oh. Listen, we, I don't, it, it doesn't matter. Our car, our possessions, our jobs. But, and we can go through this, 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 this question and answer amongst ourselves over and over. But let me ask, I didn't even mention God. Where does God fall in? Here's a crazy thought, because I don't see many people reading it much anymore. But where does his word fall in? By the way, it's through his word that we actually know God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We love that verse. We have to take the good with all of what God has to say. I mean, where does his word fall in 
to that question. What do, what do we love and cherish the most? Because see, if you're telling me, hey, I cherish my job the most, it's going to be evidenced in the life you lead. If you tell me I love my family the most, it's going to be evidenced in the life you lead. If you tell me you love your front yard the most, then it's going to be evidenced in the life that you lead. And I'm all about having a nice-looking front yard. I'm all about raking the leaves. I'm all about cutting the grass and trimming the hedges and making it look as nice as possible. But guess what? I ain't sleeping out on the front yard. I'm not going to snuggle up with my grass at night. Maybe that's what you do, not me. So we have to ask, we have to be real. I don't know why we, I feel like sometimes we're not willing to be real with ourselves and real with God. And I also feel like sometimes we walk around with a little bit of, a too, uh, of that halo on too tight. We think, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. Yes, and, and so what do you love the most? What do you cherish the most, sir? See, the world is watching. And they want, and listen, we struggle with money matters, and they see that we struggle with money matters. They say, I thought you had this relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ who supposedly was going to meet all your needs. I mean, that's what you're telling me, to come, come to the foot of the cross where I can receive forgiveness of sin and I can have everlasting life, and this is a Savior who will meet all my needs, and yet I see you struggle, struggle, struggle. And so, see, our life must be consistent with what we say. If we handle money in a shoddy or careless way, or if we misuse or mishandle uh, the resources that God provides us with, it doesn't just affect our bank account. It doesn't. It affects our relationship with God. And if it affects our relationship with God, it's going to affect our relationship with one another and those opportunities that he puts in our path. Look at, verse, at Luke chapter 12. Look at our text. In the first part of our text, what we see, look at verse number 13. What we can see is the contrast between the mind and the attitude of this man and, and, and the mind and the attitude, see his mind and his attitude and the mind and the attitude of Jesus, the contrast is pretty significant in this passage. And so uh, notice verse number 13. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide uh, the inheritance with me. Right away from this verse, we find that the man's mindset was on things on the earth or of the world, i.e., he was focused on property, he was focused on money, he was focused on wealth. But I would suggest that when he says, Hey, Master, uh, speak to my brother that he may divide the inheritance with me, I would say that he was pretty much focused on his own selfishness. He wasn't concerned about what his brother was doing. He was saying, hey, tell my brother to split the inheritance with me. Tell him to do what was right to me. Now, if you study Jewish culture, you'll know that the oldest or the firstborn son would have received more of the inheritance than the secondborn or, and then on and on. Heaven forbid you're like me, you're number four, son. I mean, you ain't getting much there. And so he says this, and Jesus says, and, and, and Jesus says hey, hey man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? That's not my job, you see, because Jesus' mindset was on higher and nobler things. He says, I'm not in it to tell you or tell your brother what to do. He says, I have a mission here. He says, I'm here to do my Father's will. I'm here to give you more than just an inheritance. I'm here to give you life. I'm here to give you life more abundantly. I'm here to give you life eternally. And so it's not my job to talk to your brother about your inheritance. 
But notice when it comes to money stuff, drop down to verse number 15. Because Jesus, because we know that he sees and we know that he knows this man's heart, he immediately gives them this double warning. Notice verse 15. And he said unto them, and I like that, notice what it says, he said unto them, because there's a group of people watching. The man comes to him and speaks to Jesus. Jesus speaks to him and says, listen, that's not my job. What am I, a judge or a divider over you? And then he turns around in verse number 15 and he said unto them, all the people who were sitting around listening, he says, I'm going to teach you all a lesson. By the way, if you read scripture, do you know that before this man came to Jesus, Jesus had been teaching on very needful topics? And so here's, it's, it's like this. It's as if uh, a message is being preached in, in the church. And then immediately after that message comes up, and it has nothing to do with that, we reveal the heart and the mind of that man. He says, oh, yeah, 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 I heard what you said, but can you speak to my brother about my inheritance? I would imagine the whole time Jesus was teaching, this man, all he could do was think about his inheritance. Jesus is teaching him some useful things, but this man isn't listening. He's not paying attention. It's evident if you read before the passage. And he comes to Jesus, hey, um, uh, that was a great message. Um, really didn't apply to me. I'd like you to speak to my brother about my inheritance. I can Im only imagine the Lord's like, are you kidding me? I literally just finished talking about being covetous and all this stuff. And here I have to, it's almost like I need to provide remedial training. Are you serious? And so notice verse 15. He gives this double warning. And he spake a parable unto them, uh, or I'm sorry, he said unto them, Take heed, beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not of the abundance of things which he possesses. And so the double warning, he says, number one, take heed. And then number two, he says, beware. Now that word beware actually means to watch, to be on guard, or to avoid. And so what is Jesus saying? And here's really the, the only real nugget that I want us to get today. What is Jesus saying to this man to avoid? What is he saying to be on guard against? He says it right there. He says, he says to be watchful, to beware, to be on guard, to avoid. He says, here's what you need to be aware of. He says, beware of covetousness. Now, covetousness speaks, that word actually speaks of a craving or a desire for more. And so, the guy who had come to Jesus in verse number 13, we see that this is his big sin. And I would suggest to you today that it's probably still a pretty big sin in our culture. Covetousness. Covetousness. That, that, what does it mean? A craving. Anybody have a craving? Aside for lunch. Y'all are craving lunch. Or a desire for more. And in the context in which we're speaking, this man was having a desire for more property, more money, more possessions, more me, 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 less of my, even my brother. And Jesus says here, he says, in order to get the point across of this guy's attitude and his behavior, he tells this parable about this aggressively self-centered man. Notice verse number 16. It's really short. And in this I think if you look at verse 16, 17, 18, and 19, you and I can actually see the perils or the dangers of this attitude. Notice what Jesus says in verse number 16. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself. Now, I have that underlined 
for a reason. And he thought within himself, this was the mindset of the man in the story that Jesus is revealing through this parable. He's telling this man about another man. I don't know if Jesus is actually speaking about that particular man, but this is a real thing. And he'd seen it before and he said, listen, he says, and he thought within himself saying, what shall I do? I will tell you one of the most dangerous words in life and also one of the most dangerous words in uh, Marine Corps boot camp is I. Am I right, Corey? Some of you that have been through boot camp know you do not say the word I. He says these words. He says, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will bestow all my fruits and my goods. And notice verse 19. And I will say to my soul, as if he owned his own soul. This is a danger, guys. He thought he was in control of his own soul's destiny. He says, and I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. In three verses, it's amazing to me. In three verses, the man says I six times and my five times. Eleven times, he's all focused on himself. He says, I'm concerned with my money stuff. And I want it, and I want it now. You see, the very idea of money and property and goods was controlling the heart and the mind of this man who steps forward to speak to Jesus about what he thought was his. And the only thing this guy wanted was for Jesus to help him with his inheritance. And Jesus says, listen, in verse number 20, notice he says, he says here's a problem. He says, thou fool. He says, thou fool. He says, you're focused on your inheritance. You're focused on what you need. He says, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he. Now that's important for you and I to understand. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Jesus says, anybody else, so is he. Anybody else who is rich toward himself and not rich towards God. This is his plight. This is his condition. I think about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. And it's very similar to what we read further on in Luke chapter 12. Jesus made the compelling argument uh, that you and I ought to actually deal with our money stuff in a correct way. He said these words in verse number 19 and following. And you've heard this passage before. He says, Lay not up tre for yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Remember that the only question I asked so far was what do we love? What do we love and cherish the most? That's exactly what Jesus said. He said, hey, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And again, you and I must ask and answer that question all for ourselves. What do we love and treasure the most? You see, if we embrace, or if maybe you're just now learning to embrace what God has to say about meeting your needs, then guess what? I'm going to encourage you that if you're starting to embrace the fact that God owns it all, and if you're starting to embrace the fact that you and I are entrusted to be good managers or business stewards of what he's given us, then you and I ought to be starting or already or beginning to seek ways to invest in furthering his kingdom, not ours. 
I got news for you guys. I know this isn't really something new. But the little kingdom, I emphasize little, of Greg will soon come to an end. Why would I ever think to try and build something upon me? It'll just burn up. It's of no use. Listen, the only thing that I really have an opportunity to impact is eternity with my family and those that I come into contact with. I can be hopefully a good testimony and encouragement to my family. And so we see that in Matthew chapter 6 also, Jesus said in verse number 24, a very familiar verse of scripture, no man. How many men? I always love that. No man can serve two masters. How many men can serve two masters? Anybody here gifted in that area? Pastor, I've been given a spiritual gifting. I can serve, I can serve three masters at one time. No, you can't. You say, well, why do you, why do you say that? Because God actually says you can't. Because in my Bible, these are the words of Jesus. And he says, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. And mammon here is referencing funds, money, money stuff. The reality is that you and I can only serve one master at a time. So who's it going to be? Who's the master we're going to serve? Guess what? There are some times that we like to say, I will serve my wife. There are some other times that ladies might say, I like to serve my husband. <laughs> or I serve my kids. I serve at the pleasure of my children. Big mistake. Let me say that again, it felt good. Big mix mistake. Oh, I love my kids, and I want to give my kids the very best that I can. But my job is not to serve at the pleasure of my children, because that'll end up bankrupting me. Anybody? And it'll also bear into my children's mind this, this mentality of entitlement. My dad serves at my pleasure. What I want, my dad gives me. What I need, my mother gives me. I don't need Jesus. And then guess what? Then we wonder why they don't want Jesus because they think dad and mom hung the moon. Hey, we ought to hang some, some things for our kids, but we ought to not be focusing. And I, that's not good English. We ought to not be. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. We ought to not be doing them things there. <laughs> <laughs> you knew what I meant. You knew what I meant because you and I are from the same hometown. That's like Martinsville Bonics. We know. You and I, yeah. That's right. Jesus knew, guys. He knew that, and I'm glad you laughed because when you're talking about money stuff, it doesn't matter if I don't talk about giving to the church. Everybody, y'all look like, like dill pickles pulled up in some kind of vinegar. I don't want to hear about this. I'm going to get out of here and go spend some more money at lunch. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad you're going to eat lunch. Tell me where you'll be and I'll come by. <laughs> it's, not, it's not to be a depressing topic. It's to be a helpful topic so that we don't make mistakes. I don't want to make mistakes with my money stuff. I don't want to make mistakes with my marriage stuff. I don't want to make mistakes in the job stuff and on and on in my health stuff. And so we have to look at what Scripture has to say. 
Listen, Jesus knew that money was such a powerful influence that it could possibly, here's where, here's where he, was, he was given the danger, it could possibly compete for a man or a woman's heart of worship. He knew that it was so alluring. He knew that it was so, so important to so many people that people might begin to worship money rather than him. And our God is a jealous God. He says, thou shall have no other gods before me. He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Notice what Paul tells the church of Ephesus and Colossus, and I close. Uh, in Ephesians 5, if you guys will show it up there, because uh, really the only idea here is who do, who do we love and cherish the most, and then the idea of beware of covetousness. So Paul tells the church at Ephesus and Colossus a couple of things concerning this idea of covetousness or covetous behavior. Notice what he says here in verse 1. He says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. And like I always like to encourage people, he says, And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not, once, let it not be once named among you as become a saint's. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, uh, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. This is what he says to use your mouth for, giving thanks. He says, for this, we, for this ye know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And then if you were to read in Colossians chapter 3, notice what he, he begins really hard in verse number 5 with the word mortify. Now that word mortify means to put to death. And so Paul tells the church at Colossus, he says, put it to death. He says, put to death, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. And what is he saying to put to death? He says, put to death fornication, put to death uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil con uh, concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh upon the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time. But when did he say you walked in them? When you lived in them. But if you know the letter to the church at Colossians, you know that one chapter over in Colossians chapter 2, in verse number 6, Paul had already said, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. He says, you're not living in those things anymore. And so those things that you once lived in, those ways that you used to walk, those ideologies that you used to follow, those things need to be put to death because you are now in Christ Jesus. You have no need to be covetous. But here's something else I want to warn us. And I don't know if you guys can do this. I, I didn't even ask you guys to do this. But if you could show that Ephesians 5.5 uh, uh, 5 verse again. I don't know if that's even possible. It might be part of another. But notice it says, For you know this, that no whoremonger, no unclean person, nor covetous man. What does it say right after covetous man? Who is an idolater. In Colossians, guys, I'm going to ask you again if you can do it. In Colossians 3, 5. Notice what he says in Colossians 3, 5. It says... Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness. And what does it say? Which is what? Okay, so twice, very closely together, we see that being covetous 
is idolatry. It's idolatry. Why? Why is being covetous idolatry? Because we are coveting, we are craving, we are desiring for more. What we have done, and I don't have any in here, so don't all attack me. We crave more of this and less of God. And God says, it's idolatry. Be very dangerous. Be very careful, rather, with the dangerous topic of money stuff. Now, guys, as believers, there's no need, as I said, what Paul said, there's no need to be covetous. God has provided everything we need. Listen, we can rejoice in the fact that he promises to meet our needs. Hebrews 13, 5 says that, it says this, it says let your conversation, that word conversation in Hebrews 13, 5 actually means let your character, let your conduct, let your behavior be without what? You think it was a pretty important topic? Paul is telling everybody in Ephesians and Colossians, then the writer of Hebrews is saying it again, is saying, let your conversation, your character, your conduct, your behavior be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have, for he has said, speaking of Jesus, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Oh yes, he promises to meet our needs. He's, he promises to never leave us or forsake us. He promises to be the shepherd of our souls. And so how you and I deal with money stuff is incredibly important and I would dare say it's actually a test of your and I's allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. I used to sing that song years ago. Some of you remember. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. If we pledge allegiance to our money, we're going to find ourselves dealing with a whole lot of stress that comes from dealing with money stuff. I have a couple of questions and then praise team, if you want to come, we're going to, we're going to close. Here's the question. What or who do I love the most? And remember, it's going to be revealed by who or what we are worshiping. A lot of people don't show up for worship anymore. I don't know why. It's like, I can worship God on my own time. No, you can't. Because here's what happens. You, now, now, don't walk out of here and say you can't worship. You can. But the Bible says that we're to forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. As the church, as the called out assembly, the ecclesia, the called out assembly of baptized believers, we're told to come together. Why? Because I need to be encouraged to deal with my money stuff the right way. You need to be encouraged to deal with your money stuff. We have people in this room that need to be encouraged to deal with their health stuff the right way. We have people that need to be encouraged to deal with their marriage stuff the right way, their job stuff, their kids stuff, their parents stuff the right way. And so we have to come together to encourage one another. Now certainly I can go home and I can get on my knees and I can worship the Lord through my prayers. I can read his word. I can pray and I can praise him. I praise him in the car. I praise him in the morning, in the noontime, at night, as David said. But who do we love and cherish the most? Here's another question. Do we actually know and embrace the fact that God is the one who gives and takes away? You remember? You remember when when God took everything away from Job. And Job basically says, you're a crazy woman. When his wife comes to him in Job chapter 2, and she says, why don't you just curse God and die? And Job says, you're a crazy woman. God is the one who gives. God is the one who takes away. 
Job had an understanding that it didn't matter about his possessions. It didn't matter about his... By the way, God had already taken his children. And Job said, I will not, I will not act like you're saying. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to honor God. I'm not going to sin against God. And so have we embraced the fact that he owns it all? Have we embraced the fact that you and I are to be stewards of what he has given us? Another question. Will we trust him to supply the needs that we have? God promises to meet our needs. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. He never said that he will promise to meet your desires and your wants. I have a message that I taught years ago. Wants, needs, and desires. Oh, there's a big difference between the three. And here's another question. Will we look to glorify God in how we spend our money, how we give our money, and how we share our money? And then will we be the wise and faithful stewards of the resources he's entrusted us with? Guys, I want you to put one verse back up there. 1 Timothy 6, verse number 7, as a sobering reminder to every one of us in this room. Everybody see it? I remember on October the 17th, 1966, I really don't remember it. I remember what I was told about that day, that at 5.12 in the afternoon, a tow-headed little boy came into this world and made my parents' life amazing. <laughs> you ever wonder what your parents said the first time they saw you? <laughs> I remember what I said the first time I saw you. No. <laughs> I, <can't. laughs> I do know one thing about that day. That was an era, in fact, I, I hear a lot of it going on now. <laughs> they put a cloth diaper on me because I had no garment to cover myself. Because you see, when I came into this world, I had nothing. And so they put a cloth diaper on me. And they wrapped me up in this little blanket. And they put this little surgical thing on my head. They wrote a little card and said, it's a boy. We brought nothing into this world. And it's certain we can carry nothing out. We had the services of Judy Wetzel. There's one thing I noticed as I got an opportunity to look upon that dear woman. <laughs> she had already gone. She had gone with her soul on to glory land. But their physical remains were laying there. And there was one sobering thought came into my mind as I was thinking about money stuff. It ain't going with me. It ain't going with me. All our clothes, those things aren't going with us. Let's do business the way God wants us to do business. It's all His anyway. It's His money stuff. Let's do it the right way. Because I can guarantee you, if people will start to see you and I doing it the right way, they'll, they'll actually say, wow, 
actually, maybe I'll actually go up and visit that crazy church on the hill. Because I actually know someone that worships there. And what I see from their life is they actually have made a commitment to do it God's way, not their way. So I ask you, maybe you struggle with money stuff. What will your decision be today? Will you decide for the first time in maybe a long time to recommit yourself to doing it God's way? And maybe you're here this morning and you say, "What? Well, I don't even know how to do it God's way because I've never understood God. I've heard about God. I've never trusted in Christ. I've heard that God so loved me that he gave his only begotten son. I've heard that message, but I've never appropriated that message. I've never made that message a part of my life. Can I tell you, God makes it really, really simple. And I give you one verse. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You say, I don't have a Savior. Why? Why? It cost you nothing, but it cost him everything. It cost me nothing. All I had to do was one night recognize that I was a sinner in need of a Savior. And I asked God to forgive me of my sin because I knew I couldn't do a real good job of it. I said, God, I need you to change me from the inside out. Maybe you're sitting here and you've never done that. Can I encourage you? Right now, right where you're at, it's not about some kind of hokey pokey prayer. It's about the desire of your heart that says, God, I don't want to be a sinner anymore. I need a Savior and I need you to change me. By the way, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. We'll always be sinners, but we can be saved sinners. Or... We can make the choice to walk out these doors just running through life just like we always have. I'm begging you, don't let that happen because you'll never see a change in your money stuff until you see a change in your Savior stuff. And His name is Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you so much for listening. For more information about our ministry, please go to battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. See you next time.